following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your eardrums one podcast at a time. To listen to more great geek audio podcasts, check out the R.E.D. Podcast Network at redpodcastnetwork.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Ladies, gentlemen, clowns, penguins, villains, and would-be heroes of Gotham, welcome to the Gotham City Podcast. My name is Ian, and I am your host. Every Tuesday in the podcast, we'll review the episode of Gotham from the night before, talk about the characters we meet, where they come from, their part in the new imagining of the world of Batman, and any other news relating to the show as the season progresses. Folks, once again, thank you very much for giving me some of your valuable in-ear time and choosing to download the Gotham City Podcast. Feedback we've been getting is great, and yes... Yes, yes, a new show host will be joining pretty soon as soon as we figure out a couple of little technological snafus that have actually happened in the process. Wayne Dunn, who is a good friend of mine uh, and a beer writer who I work with an awful lot on my beer podcast, is going to be joining the show uh, once we can figure out some of the technology snafus because he lives in another part of the country from me. And trying to do the podcast where we can make it and get the editing time down. The rest of it's just a bit of a pain in the backside at the moment. But we will figure that one out. And hopefully Wayne will be joining on the show from next week. So that is definitely worth looking forward to. So let's get into the news first. And there is there's some news this week. Let's get into the most important piece of news. You know, Gotham is going to get a full season of the show. I think that's pretty spectacular. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's, uh, um, I don't want to be a smug son of a bitch, but it was a given with this, um, that it was going to get the full season. And ABC basically commissioned to bring the season for a full 22. So again, I think if you are familiar with the world of TV shows and everything else, the first, uh, run of episodes that get done before they get to the full 22. There tends to be a couple of storyline snafus in there. Um, and the reason being is that if it is only going to be like half a season, you need to be able to close it out and not be too bad a thing. Uh, but then you get a second half of the season, which tends to be stronger than the first half. And we've definitely seen that with Arrow. We've seen that with Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So nothing new or surprising there. Now... Fox TV group chairman and CEOs Dana Walden and Gary Newman uh, basically turn around and say, you know, Bruno Heller and Danny Cannon have created an incredibly rich world with characters that draw you in and a cast that brings to life these heroes and villains in a way we've never seen before. We're so excited to see where Bruno, Danny and the entire Gotham team take this story over the course of the season and so thankful to all the fans who have embraced it this fall. Um... You know, Gotham is really, really important, and you really can't understate that in any way. It's, you know, it's in the fourth place slot for, like, the fourth most popular TV show that got launched this fall, um, which is really, really important if you think about things like Red Band Society, Grace Point, uh, Mulvaney, and Utopia. Um, they actually didn't get anywhere near Gotham's ratings, and Gotham's ratings have consistently pegged against the Blacklist. And the Blacklist is a show which was 
it did gangbuster numbers last year. It's really, really popular. It's sold really well in other markets as well. And, um, you know, it, they got Fox actually, they could have banana skinned it quite badly because, you know, it was made a centerpiece for the fall TV schedule marketing. Um, but it's just working out so well. And, you know, it gets... It does well again. The eighteen to forty nine in the live plus same day returns numbers, and you know it gets a sixty percent jump in the three day DVRs. That's an amazing set of numbers. If if Agents of Shield had gotten that by episode four when it did its first season, they would have been laughing their backside off. Um, but again, it didn't. And here's the other thing, which is really important. Gotham is actually the first uh, Fox series to score a full season order this fall already, um, and it's you know it's it's the and it's the third one if you think about just like broadcast television in general. Um, it's utterly it's amazing. It's really really uh, a testament to the fact that it has been well received by fans, um, despite the fact that there are blatantly a number of niggling issues with it. Um, but again, if this actually hit the blocks running and, and was perfect, I think we'd all be a little bit suspicious. Um, and I don't think it would probably have done as well. Um, I think some of the points that like I have issues with um, and some of the writing, I think, would turn off an awful lot of American audiences. Um, I think it's a very, very European thing and very European view of it that I actually have. And that's not to be disparaging. Uh, to American viewers of the show. It just is that uh, there are certain things that I think when I'm looking at it, if I compare our soap operas or our drama series in Europe compared to the US, especially if you look at British television dramas that are done by the BBC, take, for example, if you take BBC's Sherlock show and you run it against Elementary, I love both shows so much. Um, and I really was, gonna, I was determined I was going to hate Elementary because they made John Watson a woman. Um, uh, but it was brilliant it's a show that I am utterly utterly in love with but the two of them are brilliant for two very very different reasons I think the the British show is a little bit smarter it's a little bit tighter um, uh, and I think it it does a heck of a lot more in much less TV time but coercely I think the Last series of sh- of Elementary that I watched in the U uh, from the US, I didn't hate a single episode of it. I utterly loved every single episode of it that was run. I loved the storylines in it. I thought they were so good. I thought the character progression was brilliant. I liked this. I thought the writing was exceptionally smart. Um, I, but again, it wasn't at the same. The smartness level of it wasn't the same. Uh, I just thought it just stood out so much compared to some of the other uh, TV series that are on in the US. But again, really good. I'm glad it got picked up for the full 22 run. Uh, that would have been could have been devastating if it wasn't even going to get that. Because given this is like Batman, the premier uh, superhero franchise in the world. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, it really, really is. Now, another little piece of news that actually came up during the week was a confirmation that, you know... Uh, Arrow fans and Gotham fans uh, took a little bit harsh, which was that there will not be a crossover between Arrow and Gotham. And you know what? There shouldn't be a crossover. They are meant to be at two different times. Uh, Oliver Queen and 
Bruce Wayne are roughly around the same age. There's a couple of years in the difference. They are not, one is not much older than the other. And uh, people were like, but but we've seen the Queen Consolidated building in one of the episodes of, of Gotham. You know what? It was just, it, it, people, they pointed out, you know what? It looked like a Queen Consolidated Easter egg. Um, and, you know, it was actually put to, put as a question by MTV News to uh, the Arrow executive producer, Mark Guggenheim, uh, who basically was like, you know, at the internet did point out to me the Queen Consolidated logo, or what looked like a Queen Consolidated Easter egg. He's still actually trying to figure out how intentional that was. Let me just say the investigation is ongoing. Um, and then sort of Gotham's producer, Danny Cannon, was, had the same question put to him at the uh, New York Comic Con. And he said, look, I've got to tell you, it was completely unintentional. Someone spotted it in the cutting room, but we moved so fast, we're like, eh, it's cool, leave it in, don't talk about it. We were stealing the visual effects guys, we're stealing neon letters from other places, and that was one that worked. It was unintentional. So, there we go. Um, and one of the things that he'd put out, well, put out was, well, I think it's very clearly an example of not a crossover because it was a completely different take on, uh, you know, look, it's not going to happen. I don't think it should ever happen. I think we should just be take it for if you're a big fan of both that you've seen something which is kind of cool and and snuck out the production offices. Um, but yeah, so not going to happen. Now, before I get into the last piece of news. Uh, I want to talk about the numbers. You know, when I was talking about that it's getting to 22 episodes and it pegging against the blacklist, uh, you know, Gotham last week took a 68% rise uh, on the previous one after seven days. It was, so we went from a, like a 2.8 to like a 4.7 uh, in the 1849 adults, you know, and it tied the blacklist. Again, important. And, you know, it, it it, it, this sort of shows that it's these like the largest absolute L7 L3 gain of any series in the, from the same week, and the second largest of any series overall behind Modern Family. Uh, you know when you can actually sort of say that those numbers are like that, and again something like Modern Family, which is got an amazing cult following, and it's a really there's a global following for that one as well. It, again, Gotham has very little to worry about, and. Um, I think as fans we should be really excited that the numbers are there so it means we're going to get our full 22 run it means that with the numbers being strong there's a good chance for the back uh, I hate, I can't believe I'm going to use this phrase the back nine of the TV show um, I think that it is going to they're going to be able to throw money at it and they won't feel as nervous about it as investing money in it Um because the numbers are strong. Now, that is the fact that we've had four weeks of the show. Uh, so, um, we are almost coming to the point where we're about a third of the way through what the original run was. First. So, the last piece of news I want to pick in this week was... Uh, I, you know what? I should nearly call the news the uh, Robin Lord Taylor uh, news slot. Um... And he was basically talking to, um, I think the, it was TV Equals, I could be wrong. Basically he gave an interview on what he thinks that makes the, makes the penguin tick. 
And, uh, you know, when it came to the question of, like, you know, how do you play Cobblepot? He said, you know, we all understand what it means to be different and what it means to be treated like you're less than another person. Just based on, you know, whatever it may be, by the way you look or whatever it is, or that fear of being powerless or just being at the whim of everyone else. The difference is, though, that Oswald has very little empathy. He refuses to go back to the place of powerlessness. It's not even a conversation. There's no conflict in his mind about that. So in terms of becoming powerful and not being walked upon anymore, that's the fuel that drives him to make these terrible decisions. And I think that is somewhat the human aspect of him. And I think once you understand where someone has come from and their situation and their life, and it does not excuse their horrible, horrible behavior, it does humanize them. And I think that's definitely what I'm keying into. And you know, that is so smack on the money. Again, many times on this on this show, I've pointed out that you have to make, if you want to make a villain powerful and you want to make them compelling, you have to humanize them. You have to make them the equal of the hero and you have to play to the humanity of it as well. Uh, you can't just say that a bad guy is a bad guy and they do bad things. A bad guy doesn't start out in life with a little red tag that goes, hi, my name is bad guy on their chest. They don't say, they don't wake up in the morning going, I'm going to do bad things. They are a result and a victim of their own circumstance and their own life and their own decisions as much as anything else or things which have actually affected them. And again, it's a, it's really, really, really important that, uh, that these things are now. If you want to check out the full interview from TV Equals, it will be up in the show notes up on the website gothamcitypodcast.com so with the news and good stuffs out of the way we can get into talking about this week's episode which was just simply entitled Viper so we open up and we see that there's a guy who is a he's a again showing the criminality that there is in Gotham just blatantly criminal uh, the guy who's basically a busker and he's like the truth is I'm just busking for drug money um, uh, again just blatant. Uh, I, I, in respect, that was there was a bit of a wry smile on my face when I seen that. And a guy basically walks up to the guy he's busking and drops this sort of vial of green liquid in. The guy picks it up. It looks kind of very sinister, and it has breathe. Just breathe, breathe me, or something written on. I wouldn't mind when I seen the thing of breathe me. The first thing that came into my head was you know in Alice in Wonderland, uh, where she starts seeing these boxes appearing of eat me and drink me. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of like a bit of a weird nod to that. Um, and it, then, you know, it comes down to uh, the, the guy basically breathes it in. And I didn't really like the special effects that, that played on changing the guy who was the busker. I did not like it at all. I was like, oh, God, they look really, really hinky. I would have preferred if it was, uh, if it wasn't that blatant, to be quite honest. I think I would have been far more accepting of it and all the rest of it. Um, but then we, we cut off to the scene where Fish Mooney, where she is trying to teach her new weapon, quote unquote, uh, how to sing opera music. And she's not being particularly receptive to it. Uh, and I, I love the little dive for this, um, this female weapon character into referring to Fish Mooney as Mama. And I loved it for for one reason, and it was a real comic book nerd moment. Uh, and I'm going to actually explain this one. Um, I am a comic book fan and nerd, as people who listen to the podcast have probably figured out by now. Um, one of the comic book properties that I've always been a big fan of, um, whether it was in comic book form or whether it was in the animated series form, was the X-Men by Marvel. 
And they're in the animated series from the 90s, I believe. Uh, it was written by American writers and it was animated by Japanese animation artists, I believe. Uh, I can't remember the, the production company in Japan who did it, um, which is really, really shameful. But they have a character called Rogue. And anyone who's watched the X-Men movies knows, uh, or is familiar with them knows that Rogue is a mutant who can absorb other mutants' powers and then use them herself. And her character in the animated series uh, was brought up by Mystique, who in the recent movies was played by Jennifer Lawrence, um, who is basically the blue shape-shifting character, uh, to keep it quite simple. And... Rogue in the animated series was... Her, part of her backstory is that she was actually raised by uh, Mystique in a, ship sh- in a shape-shifted human form. Uh, and she referred to... When she discovered the truth that Mystique was basically her... Had been raising her all along and it was a bit of a lie. She referred to... Kept calling Mystique Mama. And it was done in this sort of real sort of uh, ATL Georgia accent... Uh, and again, it just kind of it drew me back into that straight away, and I was thinking, especially the uh, where the a strong, confident voice suddenly dived into this. And like, okay, Mama. Uh, again, it, it kind of it, it kind of brought that one along for me. That's just a, a sort of a little wee nerd moments that I had. Uh, again, you listen to the podcast, you know that sometimes there are these nerd moments, and I'll go and explain them. But anyway, um, I'm just trying to understand like what the. The, the mode of operation here is for this lady weapon and what they're actually building it to um, why is it important that she learns to the words to opera um, and especially if you look at the character of Falcone I don't understand why she's trying to mould her into this sort of gentrified lady who's eventually going to kill him uh, by getting close to him like a lady of refinement uh, it just seems a little bit far-fetched. Um, to me, it almost seems like the best type of character they could actually do for Lady Weapon is is to make basically a Carmela Soprano. Uh, again, I will. I am not going to let that one go. I think when you're talking about crime families and mob families, I think generally in American television sense, we have now accepted that uh, some of the character types that we see from the mob when we see them from Boardwalk Empire or where we see them from The Sopranos, which has pretty much left a, a massive mark in uh, American pop culture when it comes to mob families. I don't think it would have been wrong in the circumstances to sort of borrow from that. I think, if anything, it would have uh, given people something a little bit cool to latch on to as well. Especially if you consider that Sopranos was basically a HBO show, uh, which meant it wasn't on cable. Uh, or, sorry, it wasn't on network television. Uh, and being able to jam some aspects of the character's sizings or uh, traits uh, in terms of personalities and then bringing them into like a pre-Watershed show, uh, I think it would have been pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and then we sort of cut to the fact is that the guy who basically huffed the green super juices, I'm going to call it... Um, goes into a store and just suddenly makes a beeline for milk and you know wow uh, if, if that stuff is going to make you consume lots of milk then you know where where do I sign up and where can we get other people to go and sign up and, and take advantage of this great great product uh, I kind of in a way liked the 
interaction between the Super Juice guy and the store clerk where he basically takes the baseball bat off him and snaps it. Um, again, I think it's pretty cool, but on the other hand, it's like... It's kind of had shades of, of Bane about it, taking Venom and getting super strength. And I don't know if I wanted to see that yet or not in, a, in an episode of Gotham. And I'm really torn about that. Um, I, I, I almost think in one respect, and I hate to do this, I think Chris Nolan's universe has ruined me in terms of my expectations of the real world uh, Batman aspect side of things. Um, that like Bane in the in the uh, in the movies wasn't powered by uh, like a super venom. It didn't actually sort of allude to what the heck was was fueling him in terms of his strength and anything else. And I kind of like that. And I think it's basically screwing me up for it. But anyway, we come back and we yet again find Bruce Wayne playing detective about what the link is between the crime families and Wayne Enterprises, which is his and seems to be his new focus. Uh, again, I'm not going to harp on about this point. I just need him to stop doing this. Don't need to be told. We then figure out that the, basically there is a heck of a lot of infighting at the moment where you've got a meeting basically between Fish Mooney, Falcone and one of the Russian crime bosses. Um, and there's definitely some tension there between Fish and the Russian crime boss and Falcone is like, we don't need to be at his other's throats. Um, again, I, I like the uh, the interplay between Jada Pinkett Smith's uh, Fish Mini character and the Russian crime boss here. Uh, I really, really like that because there was a, just a little twinkle of danger there and it kind of reminded me of that that scene uh, in the opening episode where James Gordon actually meets Fish Mooney for the first time and one of the things she says to him is you've got a little twinkle of danger in your eye and I could kind of see that in this scene and I was kind of just expecting all kind of hell to break loose with Falco and like basically having to yell like enough! <laughs> um but I did kind of like that uh, idea. And then we kind of cut to the scene where basically Bullock and Gordon are out and about trying to find out who the heck is distributing this drug on the streets. Uh, especially learning that the guy basically walked, uh, lifted a an ATM machine on his with his bare hands out of a store and basically ran down the road with it without a car. Um, I love the soundtrack in the back of this scene. I really, really liked it. And it kind of had that feel of uh, um, like Law and Order SVU about it in one respect. And I love those outdoor shots of the of the episodes again. I really, really dig that. Um, they 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 just get some amazing looking outdoor shots for this this uh, this series. Um, and when they're done so well, it's just like oh, they're so damn nice. Um, we then sort of see the thing where Bruce Wayne wants to try and uh, find out more about the the Wayne board and the connected the who who's who on it, and he is now of the suspicion, the belief that the only way that uh, the criminal families were able to get their hands on the Arkham Project was that they had to have been given the go ahead or given. Uh, some of the rights by members of the Wayne Enterprises board mean that not all is well in Wayne Enterprises. And again, this is kind of important because when you're talking about a giant company that we're told is worth billions and billions in the episode, uh, 
the law of logics in the real world tells you that no one gets to owning to having a company that's worth billions and billions um, by being completely philanthropic, being completely altruistic. Um, someone somewhere is taking a pasting and getting the rough end of a deal and someone is getting screwed and there is nefarious activity somewhere. It's just a simple fact and just something that you need to accept as part of the cause because no one gets rich by being nice um, and no one gets rich by doing everything by the book either. Especially when you're talking about billions and billions and billions. Uh, it's just a simple logical fact. So again, I kind of like this. This is where they, they take that little dive into the real world side of things. And you're just like, whoo, I like that. That's good. Um, because again, it doesn't take you out of the moment. It allows you to continue suspending your disbelief and to buying into the storyline and the narrative, which is very, very cool. Now, that leads on to the moment where Jim Gordon and Detective Bullock, um, they manage to track down the track down the villain from the opening part of the episode who has taken the uh, the green super juice um and when they find him the guy picks up the safe and and emotions that he's going to throw it at them and you know what the second he picked up the safe i had this real road runner moment about it or this sort of um, Looney Tunes moment about it where I'm like, he's going to drop the safe in his head. His superpowers are going to go and his safe is going to drop and he's going to get squished like a freaking accordion. And it happened. <laughs> it was a real Looney Tunes Acme safe moment. Um, just, again, I, you kind you seen it coming the second it started, but um, really, really interesting. And I, I like when writers sometimes will take a bit of abandon and throw something like that in there. Even if I do think it, it like it, it falls it's straight into my argument of stop doing things that pull people out of the moment, it was something kind of cool and funny. At the same time, um, I don't think that like when you even to start to write that scene is that the guy with his newfound superpowers, which are basically fueled by the calcium being drained from his body again. Oh, why? Give a bullshit science reason for these things. Whoa, oh, I just don't. Anyway, um, when you start, when you actually need to go and use science to explain what happened, you've lost. And let me give you an example of where this this happens. If you think about Star Trek, the TV series, and I've already got people who are going, oh, Jesus, he's going to bring up Star Trek. Yes, I'm going to bring up Star Trek, but I'm using it to illustrate a point. So you just need to grin and bear it and bear with me to explain it. One of the biggest problems and the biggest crutches of the Star Trek TV series, especially if you take into things like, say, um, The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager, is that there would be a problem that would be created as part of a storyline and story arc of an episode. What would happen is the storyline and the issue at hand would get resolved by some piece of bullshit science fiction science um, and they would then go, well, you know, when we, we take the discombobulator and we discombobulate this, everything is okay. Everyone gets to go home and be happy. Um, I don't like things like that because it becomes this, uh, this, this um, device of convenience to tell a story. And you then rely on the bullshit science to make your story work. Uh, and, a big, and again, it's an object of convenience. The new Star Trek movies, however, that were written by J.J., uh, the ones that are produced under J.J. Abrams, they didn't rely on bullshit science to tell a story. 
Um, and I, what I mean that is, they didn't require, if you took out the bullshit science, the rest of the story does, stops working straight away. It, there is no story. The bullshit science was just a small factor in the thing. The best thing about those new movies compared to the the other movies that were done by um, like Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes and uh, and that cast of characters is, and Michael Dorn and the rest of it, Ben Spiner, uh, you know, well, I'm just I'm just naming off names here now and just showing my own nerd them. Um, not really impressive. Uh, is that? Uh, they had great storyline narratives, great characterizations that when you took out some of the bullshitty science stuff and you took away some of the geek toys from the Star Trek universe that people usually get to play with to tell their stories, it still worked and it was a compelling, entertaining movie. And you didn't need to take a buy-in or a Star Trek science lesson to understand the story or to get with it. That was brilliant. You didn't need that. You didn't need to be a zineologist in the star of the Star Trek universe to understand the story. You didn't need to understand the cultural uh, significance of the different races in the universe. You didn't need to understand that. Well, you know that starships can only travel at a at a maximum light speed of like nine point whatever. You didn't need to know any of that stuff. You didn't need to know about how a transporter freaking worked. Um, you didn't need to know the the laws of physics in the universe that it was set in to understand the stories and to get by in. They were just entertaining stories that focused on strong characterization. And again, this is what I mean by when I'm talking about, um, you know, that you don't need to go and explain the laws of the universe to make your story work. You can just rely on the story just being exceptionally strong. Um, so that's where that comes into that. Now, we then cut to the part of the... Uh, See, I told you it was worth actually just bearing with me through the Star Trek thing to actually help you understand it. We get to the point in the in the episode where uh, the guy who's basically producing this uh, screen super juice is basically just giving it out. Walking around the city, casual as hell, just giving out the thing. Um, I'm a little bit weirded out by that scene. And here's the reason why I'm weirded out about it. No one walks around the city doing that. That's just insane. It's not. It's not credible. Um, no one is going to walk think for just one second like someone walking up to you and just basically handing you a vial of drugs for like, no reason whatsoever the majority of people are not going to take it that, it's a simple fact the majority of people are not going to try the drugs it's just not going to happen that is bullshit and again you're just kind of looking at it going that's bullshit that's not going to fucking happen don't be don't stop treating us like an idiot um, uh, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm a little bit, I'm mystified by that one. Again, it's, I, I wouldn't have done it, put it that way. I just think it's, again, a convenience that the guy is waltzing around, skipping like he's Mary Poppins, telling everyone a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, and giving them this vial of green liquid, and then everyone is going to take it, and there's going to be loads of these freaking lunatics with super strength running around the place, who all of a sudden have a major hard-on and thirst for, like, all things dairy. Um, <laughs> it's just freaking ridiculous. And even when they explain the science of it, like, well, you know, that the drug, what it does is it depletes people's calcium deposits, which is why they're going crazy for the dairy. It's like, oh my god, you're giving me a bullshit science reason. When you actually have to give a bullshit science reason to explain something, 
you failed. Because again, you're giving people bullshit and you're making them... You're doing something which is going... It's meant to be entertainment and it's meant to be a story flow. Uh, actually, I'll tell you what it's the equivalent of. Anyone who's seen the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, uh, where you know you get those points where they're talking... Uh, the Vogons appear, and then all of a sudden it cuts back to this sort of like animated uh, interjection scene going, the Vogon race, blah, 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 blah. That's exactly the equivalent of it when you do something like that. And again, Gotham is meant to be a drama series. Drama series should not make you do that. Drama series should actually keep you in the story. They should keep you involved in the in the twists and turns of the dramatic tale. They should never once make you pull out and go, like it's a L'Oreal ad. And now the science bit. Um, really, really stupid. Again, I, these writers might be incredibly talented. They might have written like a ton of stories before for a ton of episodes, but fuck me. They make some really stupid writing decisions that I just will never understand um, for stuff like that. And, you know, then we get to the point where uh, the Penguin decides to go and tell Maroney exactly who he is. Blow his own cover. I don't understand that decision at all. I really don't. If you understand about how they've actually pitched the uh, pitched the penguin so far, you're, again, you're now making the guy do something that would be uncharacteristic of him. Like what? Like this is a guy who operates in the shadows, and he likes operating on the fact that uh, it, to borrow a line from the uh, the Iron Man universe. Um, with the Mandarin, you'll never see me coming. And that is exactly the point of what you see with the, the Penguin right now, is that you do, he is this incredibly vicious uh, and very calculated individual uh, who is uh, who puts on this front that he's, uh, he's a nervous guy and that, you know, that uh, he, he's basically feeling his way around this universe when, you know, this guy is a fucking... He is the alpha shark in the frickin' waters. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, he is the alpha creature in the wa- in the ocean. And he freaking knows he's the alpha creature as well. So, And he's not someone who who engages in public pride. He, it's a very private pride for him. Because it's not about showing, it's about knowing. And the fact that his character does this in Moroni, I was just like, why did you get the character to do this? It makes absolutely no sense. This is a character who likes operating in the shadows. He likes playing people. He's He likes the idea that he's a chess master moving pieces of the board around. And anyone who knows anything about chess is, if you're anyway good at chess, you don't go showing your hand. And especially not that early on. No freaking way does that happen. Um, and then sort of bringing Jim Gordon into the mix where he's basically told the truth to Moroni, which is really surprising. And then Jim Gordon gets picked up at the police station. Again, you can't get, you couldn't write this any better. You know, Gotham is just so utterly corrupt that criminals will walk into a police station, escort a police officer out, stick him in a car right outside the police station, and stick a bag over his head. No one bats an eyelid. That's how fucked up Gotham is. Um, again, just to, again, really on. Uh, I understand what they're doing, and they're trying to show just how utterly how messed up Gotham is, but. Again, you just pe- you just pulled me out of the story straight away by going, this is freaking nuts. That would never happen. Um, I don't care. You, you can make the place pretty fucking bad without that needing to be the case. Um, but anyway, he gets kidnapped, taken to Moroni's restaurant, and he basically confirms the same story that, uh, that Cobblepot has already told. Uh, 
And you see where like the, where Jim Gordon gets to leave the restaurant and Cobblepot just sort of uh, mouths to him, just go. Um, uh, again, you, you get the feeling that he has some sort of... Um, uh, he, he cares about like Gordon's well-being, but I think it's a case of that when you are one of the sharks in the water, it's always good to know who killer whale is and everyone else he knows who's in the police force you know he can buy them off he can crush them under the weight of their own corruption but then you've got jim gordon who he knows isn't can't be corrupted is utterly good and you then that's when you start you have to realize that the that's the bad guy who knows he's a bad guy and then noticing you know who's the opposite person across the board for me like, who is the queen? You know, when I'm looking at the chessboard, who's the queen on the other side? Which is always by far the strongest piece on the board. Um, and so he, he, I think is that it's more an acknowledgement of that. And that you should never underestimate your, uh, your nemesis. Um, and you should always grant them the respect that they're due. Uh, because they are your nemesis. You should never dismiss them or underestimate them. You should always give them. You always acknowledge, and again, this is an important part of storytelling as well. When you're talking about uh, the good guy and the bad guy, they both should have a, mu- a fundamental mutual respect of each other, because that's what the foundation of how the struggle between them is actually going to play out. Um, is that the bad guy knows how good the good guy is, and knows that you know there there are what buttons there are there to be pushed. The good guy coincidentally knows when he's up against the bad guy the lines that he can't cross and won't cross, uh, and again that's the re- having the respect for your enemy or your or your uh, or your opposite number in 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 the world and in life and in in the story, um, and you, then you sort of get into the whole thing of you know um, where basically Fish Mooney is again sort of grooming her, uh, grooming her way into. The pole position where she's, uh, you know, she you can see her plans a mile away, and it really, really is to sit at the top of the pyramid. And, you know, I don't think her that character plays like it's actually the the throne is there, and her name is already being etched on it. And I think the reality of that is very, very different. I think by the end of this, we're going to see. That it's Penguin who's actually sitting at the top of the chain, um, and with another member of the crime families, um, or may, or maybe operating above and outside the crime families. Um, and again, I think that's just a, a byproduct of the way that character is sort of being set up at this point. I could be incredibly wrong, but we'll definitely see how that one goes to play out. Uh, you know, when you get to the point where. Uh, Bullock and Gordon then discover the professor uh, who goes green uh, by just huffing some of this super green juice. I don't think I liked this at all. And you know what? Then they get into the diatribe and I will make them pay! I will make the Wades pay! And then like Bullock with that great line, what's altruism? Uh, Again, there's times with that character uh, you definitely see the love affair that the writers have. 
uh, Forest uh, when they drop lines like that in there. Um, again, then you see the the main protagonist sort of like getting to the point. I think Pulaski is the uh, the main protagonist's name. You know, crashing the the charity event that the the Waynes are actually holding. Uh, you know, he's going to gas the upper class. And you know, there was a real well. I seen <laughs> I seen him down in the kitchen with sort of the um, the matrons the matron D kind of outfit, and then going up onto the roof with a giant barrel to be connected to the. Uh, to the air conditioning or the ventilation system of the building there was I was just looking at that going all we need now is a Dutch tilt and some really cheesy uh like pseudo jazz music just being thrown in here because it just had real shades of being ripped straight out of an episode of a, of the Bill Dozier Batman universe uh, and all it, all it just needed at one point where he was just pumped like setting the gas up to get pumped in was just take a Dutch tilt and that just would have been it um just a brilliant, brilliant little nod and really kind of funny. For those who don't know what a Dutch tilt is, a Dutch tilt is if you remember the old Batman TV series where it looked like the thing was being shot at an angle and upwards, like from below, looking up and at an angle. That's called a Dutch tilt. Um, See, so teach you stuff on this episode, on, the, on these episodes of the show too. You don't just you learn plenty on this, and you don't even have to pay for it. How awesome is that? And then we're told, you know, Wayne Enterprises is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars um and then you realize like as bruce is talking to one of the uh the uh senior management members of of, of uh of wayne enterprises just utterly how messed up things really are and you know i don't think it's i like the fact that they're showing how messed up wayne enterprises is that it's not this beacon of light in fact if anything it's as dirty as everything else is going on and you know, then you get to the end of the uh, the end of the episode. And you're kind of being told the the, uh, the main villain just before he goes and offs himself um, when he's on the rooftop with uh, Bullock and with um, with Gordon to say that you know go and check out Warehouse Thirty Nine. Uh, checks out Warehouse Thirty Nine. The two of them do, and it's empty. But outside, you've got like one of the. Uh, the Wayne Enterprises uh, senior management sitting in a car watching Bullock and, uh, and and Gordon and intimating to someone else in the phone that, you know, if they become a problem, they'll get taken care of. Again, you can see Wayne Enterprises is completely screwed up and is part of the problem. Going into Wayne Manor and then seeing Alfred opening up uh, some files and searching through stuff with uh, with Bruce. Again, I can't get into that because it's just that's really frustrating and annoying. Um you know the penguin then starting to play really really dirty uh going on the uh on the casino job that Moroni was pulling because he wants to provoke Falcone and and remind Falcone that dude this isn't all going your own way I'm here too and I'm going to fight for every damn inch and if that includes taking some of your inches it's on like Donkey Kong um and then Fish Mooney like playing all sides of the fence engaged in a in an affair with uh or a relate or a relationship with uh with the Russian mob boss who you thought she would that they were gonna basically tear each other's face off uh, earlier on in the episode. It's, again it's very, very comp very, very complex world and I I did kinda like the story this week for Viper. Um in terms of I'm not sure what the main story about the drug being there did other than Put a spotlight on the fact that Wayne Enterprises is part of the problem as well. It's as 
dirty as goddamn anything else in Gotham. Um, I think you could have gotten away with something uh, without going to the effect, the level of take this super this weird green drug that the guy is walking around randomly handing out to everyone uh, to show the dirtiness of Wayne Enterprises. I think it could have been something a lot more like biochemical weapons or or something along those lines. I don't think it needed the superhero or the supervillain or the superpowers, temporary supermare thing with the with the pseudo bullshit science. Again, I I really, really do question some of the decisions made with the writing. Um up front, this is a drama series. It's you don't need to have science fiction in it. You could play it straight. No one would, no one would care. You've, uh, if they're think if they think that this stuff is going to play to the Batman fans, a lot of the Batman fans like the Nolan verse, and the Nolan verse didn't rely on bullshit science fiction. In fact, if anything, it tried to play it as straight as a motherfucker. Um, so again, I think they they don't need to do things like this. Um, things I re- again this week I did like I lo- still love the look and feel of some of the outdoor visual shots they're brilliant um, and it, it really does look beautiful again a million times better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. looks even today I don't like a, a lot of how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is shot I don't like some of the outdoor shots and some of the special effects shots um, the scenes with the Penguin and uh, Moroni you know Again, I really like those scenes, and I like the thing where he's like, you know what, take him inside and put his face in the meat slider. I want so I want his face like prosciutto. Uh, again, I really dig that, and you know, the penguin name is sticking, and it's uh, I, I like that as well. It's pretty cool. Um, there's so much that's going on that's very very cool, but then you get into stuff is, you know, the visual effects for when people took the viper drug, and then. Their face went all weird and everything else. I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. This is why you don't need to do stupid things like inv- invoke like a stupid like de- plot device, like a, a green drug that go- a guy is randomly walking around giving out that gives people temporary superpowers. When you would produce a special effects that looks so fucking dumb uh, and just like so... Pull- I'll tell you what it reminded me of. Uh... It reminded me of that sequence in Lord of the Rings where uh, Gollum freaks out and his nice personality disappears and the evil one appears. Uh, or when uh, Frodo uh, starts freaking out uh, under the under the pressure of the ring in the movie. It's just really, really hinky and just icky and it didn't need to be there. Again, you stick a stupid plot device, you're kind of, you drive yourself down the road for nastiness. Um... I think one of the other problems with this is there is a potential to dial up the Jeopardy and to dial in the drama a lot more straight, a lot more serious. Uh, and when I say when I say that you play this straight, I don't mean play this heterosexual. Let's just be very clear here. What I mean here is to play it like it's in the real world, to, to ignore the fact that there's a superhero universe behind all this. This is just meant to be Gotham. We don't need to care about the fact that an Aquaman exists. We don't need to care about that there's a world where a Flash exists. If you look at even Arrow, Arrow plays things incredibly straight, uh, apart from the Mirakuru thing. But you know what? I can forgive that one. Um, it, as uh, Putting it aside, it plays things very, very straight. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., when it's finally got its shit together... 
uh, played things very, very straight. I love the character of Agent Garrett when they introduced Bill Paxton into the series and injecting that real bad guy feel about things. I really dig that. It was, again, they gave a bad guy that was compelling. And he was just a bad guy because he was just like, he, he was just like a selfish asshole. There was nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly cool to do. Again, don't need to rely on stupid plot devices to try and get a story over. Um, and I really do think that the writers need to take a very serious look at that because I do think it's something which is going to come back to haunt them because it feels like the TV show is actually holding back and it's holding back uh, for some of the wrong reasons and I think a lot of those reasons are relating to a poor choice of devices in trying to convey a plot and a story. Um, again, taking it that, well, we're in the Batman universe, and we're in the universe where there's superheroes. No, you don't need to play it like that. You really don't. Considering the majority of the audience that you're going for to try and keep your 2.8 figures, is not going. they're not getting 2.8 based off the fact of Batman fans. They're getting a 2.8 off the fact that it's resonating with people as well who don't know shit about the Batman universe. Therefore, you don't need to cater to them. Do not worry about the, the, the comic book fans. The comic book fans lived and loved the Nolanverse, which completely ignored the fact that superheroes and supervillains existed with superpowers. Uh, and, and just, again, played it incredibly real world. And, you know, what if Batman was in the real world, he'd be driving around in this tank type thing. Uh, where would he get all the, the, all the, the technology from? Uh, you know, play play it that way. I don't think there's a problem with that, and I think they just need to gain a little bit of confidence to it. Uh, I'd love to know what other people thought. Um, just you can send a send a tweet to the show or send in an email uh, if you want. You can send an email to uh, GothamCityPodcast at gmail dot com. So, Bat fans, Gothamites, thank you for lending me your ears once again for this episode of the Gotham City Podcast. We will be back next week with yet another light to shine into the darkness of Gotham. You can also check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So, if you want to leave us a rating review thumbs up it would be great because it helps the show along if you want to follow the show on twitter you can do so by following at gotham city pod and we use the hashtag hope number four gotham you can also check out the site for the latest news on the gotham's uh, tv series which is gothamcitypodcast.com or check out the reddit thread which has all the latest news reviews interviews theories plots suspicions uh, Easter egg pointers, a whole lot. You can get that at uh, www.reddit.com forward slash or forward slash Gotham. So until next week, let there be light for Gotham. Where there once was the sound of laughter, now resides a cold air. Where there once Voices lies a graveyard of broken hearts, dreams and prayers. Take a good look. This is who we are. What we